When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. And today we're going to talk about the Epistle to the Hebrews, a really fascinating and mysterious book, and also talk about wanting to go back to college. I know none of you have ever been nostalgic about that. And lastly, um, a story about someone who saw something in a troubled veteran in the 4th century AD. Uh, Hilary of Poitiers saw something in a young veteran, and I want to share that story with you at the end. Every time we think about God or hear about God, we usually bring our suppositions and presuppositions to that discussion. God is up in the sky. God is an old white man. God is uh, un- so far away from us that really that we can't really understand God. Or maybe you're more progressive in your knowledge of God and you don't see God as just a white man in the sky or some sort of all-powerful being. Maybe God is more infused in the world and more present in the world and in nature. and, and uh, Or perhaps um, even when it comes to gender, how we think about God as, as not being in the strict bi- human biological binary of male and female, but encompassing all of humanity. Um, however we look at God, um, we always have to come back to how Holy Scripture talks about God. And, and I, I love theological work, and it's helped me a lot in my journey in life to not just see God as sort of my dad up in the sky, but to see God in different ways, the ways many people have seen God over the centuries and millennia. But when we get to stories in the Bible about how God interacts with God's people, it's an extremely intense relationship. And the example that the author of Hebrew uses is this experience in the wilderness. If you want to know what God is like, you know, or anybody is like, um, ask somebody what about stories about them. You know, don't ask them what they're like, but ask them for a story. Well, here's what happened when we drove to Omaha together. <laughs> here's what happened when we um, were on a softball team together. Um, it seems like whenever somebody rises to fame, whether that's running for president or uh, anything big where you become known as a public figure and not really as a person, the way we sort of know each other on this level, um, we there's always a college roommate or somebody that comes out, out and says, uh, you know, I remember this guy. Um, the kegger, the keg stands he used to do, or whatever it was, uh, we can expect that sort of thing to humanize somebody and to tell stories about them. And those stories do help us understand what a person is like. You know, I was his roommate in college, and all he would ever do is read. Or I was, I, you know, I grew up in, in her town, and, you know, she was at the library every day, or whatever it is about that person. So stories about God are kind of how we know about God, maybe even in a deeper way 
than our theological speculations and, and meditations, which are good. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But here's a story about God. Um, God delivers the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. It's a miraculous delivery. It's full of fireworks, literally, stuff falling out of the sky, people dying, and a huge uh, upheaval in Egyptian society. The whole ar army of Pharaoh is drowned in the Red Sea. They are saved by water, just as we are saved through the waters of baptism. And they come out of the Red Sea into the wilderness. And there's these events that happen right away that define the next 40 years of their life. They go into the land and they say, we'll never be able to conquer those giants that live there. The people there are just too strong. And all these things happen, the striking the rock and some other events that happen. And God says, okay, this generation will not enter the promised land. It'll be the next generation. So everybody under 20 um, will go into the promised land and everybody over 20 won't. Um, and so they wander. These years of wandering in the wilderness are hard years, but they're the years where they forge themselves not into a disparate group of tribes and families, but into what can be called a nation where they all kind of work together on things. And it's in this time of wilderness um, that is referred to in the book of Hebrews here that the days that they harden their hearts as in the rebellion, as on the day of testing in the wilderness, when, when your ancestors put me to the test, they had seen my works for 40 years and I was angry at that generation. And he says, because they've rebelled, they will not enter my rest. That first generation won't go into the promised land, the land of rest, the land of milk and honey. <clears throat> this was a relational dispute between God and God's people. Um, certainly the power differential is there between God and humans. <clears throat> but every time I read a story like this in the Bible, I'm reminded how close God is to us relationally. I mean, you can't get angry at someone unless you are really in there deep in their life. Um, that they have uh, strings attached to your heart and they have a way of getting your anger up or my anger up. I'm talking about myself as much as you. This is what it is to have a relationship. And this relationship that is now angry and then there's a final finality to it. This is what the author of Hebrews is calling us to remember. Remember that relationship <clears throat> and don't fall into that again. Don't turn away from the living God. We have a living God, a God that is relational, a God you can talk to, a God who might even talk to you. Um, the way God speaks primarily is through Holy Scripture. That's why we read it so much. God speaks to us through Holy Scripture. God speaks to us through lots of other places and people and experience. But these stories are how God speaks to us. So God is not so far away. God is not so far away. God is a living God. And the invitation to the people of God in the New Testament, which is today, is the same invitation that was to the, the people of God in the Old Testament. To listen, to soften your heart. Don't harden your heart to where God is leading you. To trust Jesus as being fully 
capable of saving us. And not to trust anything else, to trust Jesus to save us. This is what the, the temptations that this first century community that Hebrews is being written to, what they were experiencing was they wanted to go back, kind of like going back to Egypt. You know how college is, how everybody talks about college or um, as a veteran, uh, sometimes people talk about the military if they, if they maybe didn't have a good college experience. But those were the days, you know, back when things were good. If I could just go back to college. Remember that time in the dorm room? We had so much fun. Um, and I'm like this too. I'm not any different than anybody else. Um, and that nostalgia, which originally nostalgia was a, a mental illness diagnosis by French doctors on combat veterans who were never quite there where they were supposed to be. They were always somewhere else in their minds and hearts. But this nostalgia, this wanting to go back to Egypt, this is the temptation that this first century community is facing. They want to go back to the day before they met Jesus. They want to go back to that. Because Jesus has caused a disruption in their life. Jesus has caused hardship in their life. I mean, the guy was crucified by the Romans. These people still live in the Roman world. They are subject to that same fate at any moment. And the temptation to go back is really strong. So the book of Hebrews is also a way to remind people to hang in there. And I feel like that's a good word for us today, to hang in there. Um, we are going to keep going with this church. We're going to keep going as best we can in all the ways that we can. And we're not always going to all agree on how to do that or what's best, um, but we're going to keep going. That's what I believe God is calling us to do. And the author of Hebrews says, keep going. Listen to God. God is a living God. God is active in this world. God is active in our lives. And that relationship between us and God is still happening. So we want to keep it going. And I, I think that's a word for me too, because I get discouraged and I want to go back to Egypt where I had it good, where things were easy. I mean, the, the minute you think about that, it's ridiculous. But there is that call to nostalgia, I think, that a lot of us sometimes feel. And that's what these people felt. And the reminder that Jesus is enough. Jesus will be there for us no matter what happens, no matter where we head, go, no matter what wilderness we're in or what disruptive circumstance we find ourselves in. Jesus will be there. His sacrifice on the cross is enough. Amen. Today, the church commemorates Hilary of Poitiers. A few things about this bishop, uh, this bishop in the church. This is Hilary of Poitiers is a really early bishop uh, in the in the fourth century. So like really almost 250, maybe 300 years after Jesus. Um, so his um his, his proximity to Jesus is uh, instructive, I think, um, in that this is before the Eastern and Western churches split. Uh, this is before clerical celibacy comes in. Hillary is married, um, which is sort of odd to find a famous bishop from the olden days that's married. 
Um, he has a daughter that becomes a nun who we know about. But my favorite thing about Hilary of Poitiers, um, he suffered for his faith. He was exiled a few times, lost his job, lost his um, church. Um, and one of the, uh, during the Arian controversies, but one of the things that I love about him was that when he was working um, as, a, as a priest, I think he might have been a bishop at this time, a young, uh, well, young, younger than him, veteran of the Roman army, uh, became a monk in, in the monastery that he ran. And this young monk um, had just left the army after many years of service. Uh, you can imagine what the Roman army was like in this later part of the Roman Empire, as the Roman Empire in the West is crumbling. This is in France at the time, uh, which was called Gaul. And the Roman Empire is crumbling. The barbarians, really just other people that live nearby, are starting to make inroads and shrink Rome, and they're threatening Rome. They get really close, and eventually they sack Rome um, and take over the city, and then give it right back, and then take it over again. But this is in the fall of the Roman Empire. So being a Roman soldier in this time meant it's probably the height of, of not Roman power, but Roman cruelty. And this young soldier comes uh, to him and becomes a monk in his monastery and refuses to come near the altar. He is feeling so much moral injury, so much despair, so much, I'm not worthy. I, I shouldn't be allowed to be up there by the altar where it's holy. I don't feel like I can approach. And Hillary sees this, and in order to get him to come up to the table, to the altar, he ordains him as a deacon. So he has to be at the altar. He has to serve the food and the, the bread and the wine at communion. Um, Hillary saw in this young soldier monk uh, something that no one else could see, that even this young soldier couldn't see in himself. The young soldier's name was Martin. Uh, he becomes St. Martin of Tours, a bishop himself and a monk who is a church planter. Martin hated city life. He lived out in the hills, uh, out in the uh, rural areas where Christianity was not very popular. And he planted churches all over the, um, the rural areas of France. And there's many there still today that he started. So I'm thankful for Hilary of Portier being able to see what nobody else could see in this young man's life. And I'm thankful for all the people that could see you and see me um, when, when we couldn't even see ourselves and the potential that God had for us. So we commemorate Hilary today of Portier for many things, but this in particular. O oh Lord, our God, you raised up your servant Hillary to be a champion of the Catholic faith. Keep us steadfast in that true faith, which we professed at our baptism, that we may rejoice in having you for our father and may abide in your son in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. And a prayer for mission on 58. O God, who hast made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent thy blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and those who are near, grant that people everywhere may seek after thee and find thee. Bring the nations into thy fold, pour out thy spirit upon all flesh, and hasten the coming of thy kingdom. Through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.